0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This winter is shaping up to be an incredible time to be a sports fan, and there's no better place to get breaking news, real time live commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. There's incredible storytelling, relentless reporting, and insightful analysis. I'm there right now. A couple of really interesting pieces. One, which I'd like to get into, but I don't think I'll have the time today is the actual letter that Theo Epstein sent to the Cubs organization announcing his resignment. Um, Super interesting. Basically sounds like, and this is John Greenberg from The Athletic, by the way, basically sounds like I was going to leave next year, but uh, I'm going to move it up a year because, A, this all seems pretty hard and the decisions that are going to be made like trading three players is, should probably be in somebody else's hands because of the long term uh and also i'm expensive and COVID's here and the cubs are kind of you know reeling as all, all sports organizations are all businesses are and you know if we go with the interim guy it'll be way cheaper so yeah i mean he, theo's always been transparent it seems like even in his parting shots he was extremely transparent to the Cubs. So that's on the athletic right now. And the other piece I want you to take a look at. Um, it's NBA draft day. We're going to talk to Scott Allen in a second about that. But regardless of what happens today, Marcus Thompson II has a piece on the Golden State Warriors. We have talked a little bit about that on this show. I don't know if there's a more interesting team in sports right now because of where they were two years ago. You know, This dynasty that just kind of got cut off at the head because of injuries and, of course, because of Durant leaving. You know, now they're like fifth in terms of projections in the West. Kind of the same team we saw, you know, five, six years ago, a little bit older, a little bit more expensive. But they've got a big exception to use. They've got a number, a number two overall pick to use tonight. They've got assets, good coaching, and great players. Um, and, he kind of, and Marcus Thompson kind of lays out the offseason plan for the Warriors. Check that out. Visit The Athletic and check out the slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription. Use the uh, use the URL. Don't be a fool. Save some money. It's the holiday season. All right. My name is Mike Giannetti. It is Wednesday morning. Like I said, we're kind of shaking up the show schedule a little bit this week because the NBA is so busy this week. And of course, you know, baseball and, and basketball have their own craziness happening as well. You know, there's never a, a dull moment in the NFL. Even had some big extensions this week. I just uh I just entered the details on David Bakhtiari's extension with but the, the Packers. It's nice. It's three years fully guaranteed. You know, fifty-three over the next three essentially. Good stuff to keep Aaron Rodgers left tackle in place. I think everybody uh everybody in Green Bay is happy about that. Now can they <laughs> do they have enough defense to get to the finish line? Who knows? But they're getting healthier offensively. So that contract is in on spot track. Other than that, uh, we're kind of waiting some waiting in the wings on hockey on the NHL. It sounds like they're pushing more towards a, uh, a season, a January 1st start, which is aggressive. But if the NBA can do it, so can the NHL. And it's about money right now. You know, the NBA went through that week where they had to bounce back and forth with the Players Association to work on the escrow payments and how the salaries were going to be reduced and whatnot. turns out salaries would remain... But a little bit more percentage goes into escrow, so less money this year, you know, gotta push it down the line a little bit to make sure that all the uh all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed when it comes to the losses that are certainly gonna happen from a league and team perspective. Sounds like the the, the NHL is doing the exact same thing and, and while they projected a ten percent escrow dump, sounds like they wanna get it to thirteen now. So maybe that splits the middle in terms of a compromise and this thing gets done. So should have a plan soon on the NHL. And we've got, uh, you know, projected rosters and and really all the free agent signings have happened, to be honest. You know, there may be a trade or two to come, uh, but that season's kind of ready to go from a team standpoint. It's just about working out the league situation and then going from there. But it should aggressively be, uh, you know, a quick turnaround here in the next six weeks before they get going. And similar to the NBA, which is why we're here. This is the NBA draft day. Scott Allen's going to come on here and talk some of the financials, some of the moves, maybe some warriors a little bit here. But uh, I want to open with this. We are entering week 11 of the NFL. Boy, it's getting tough. Uh, You know, the COVID cases are piling up across the country, and the sports leagues are no exceptions. Unfortunately, the NFL has really, you know, a couple of cases every day on notable teams, players as well. It's not just staff members, it's players. So I know the Rams had an announcement this morning, the Browns again yesterday, so You know, we're just going to have to push through this and hope this thing can can get to the finish line. But here's what I want to look at, because it's it's week 11. I mean, it's the the sample size is big enough now on this season to really kind of look at a couple of facets. And I'm going to start with just value. Who the heck are the best values out there? Now, there's there's a bunch of ways to look at this. And obviously, you know, our, our calculations are one version of this. There's there's a lot of ways to think about it but we kind of like the algorithm we have for this and generally speaking it tell it tells a good story because it does do a compilation of 11 weeks it does include all players from a position so it's not just you know so for instance Kyler Murray is obviously our our best value quarterback you know he's he's probably the MVP runner up right now to Patrick Mahomes and if Patrick Mahomes wasn't making 45 million a year he'd be this in in this spot right now i mean the the numbers are there so what, when, I, when I bring some names up here, you have to remember, it's not just about, boy, of, cor- of course that player's here. You know, he's outstanding. He's been blowing up my fantasy roster all, all year. You have to remember that it's about pay, too. That we're, you know, our value is not just about where you drafted him. It's about how much this player is making on an average basis in comparison to what other players at that position are making. So when I tell you then that Dalvin Cook is the best value running back in football, that should surprise you. Because Dalvin Cook is at $12.6 million a year right now. But it's really not close. I mean, he is having quite a season. He is three calculation points ahead of every other running back in the league. And the second best value running back right now is, is Darrell Henderson from the Rams, uh, which is kind of underrated because he's been banged up a little bit. He's sharing the wealth a little bit out there as well. And if I told you Josh Jacobs was third, would that surprise you? That Raiders team is sneaky, folks. Uh, it's time to keep an eye on them. We've got Raiders Chiefs coming up again. Obviously, that's the team that tripped up Kansas City the, f- the first time around. This team is, is kind of coming together, and it's, and it's Josh Jacobs' time, similar to how Derrick Henry kind of got it going this time last year for Tennessee. I wonder if that's not where we're headed with the Raiders. That defense has been good enough. Derek Carr has been more than good enough. There's some youth on the, in the wide receiver system. And certainly, Darren, you know, the, the tight end position of, of Waller and Witten, that's that's more than adequate to, to, to have a postseason run here. So if Jacobs can kind of take over, as clearly he has started to do, which is why he's here right now on this valuation list, could be really good things for the Raiders. They might not just be a fringe playoff team. They might be a real contender, similar to how Tennessee kind of came out of nowhere and almost got themselves all the way to the Super Bowl. So that should surprise you. But yeah, Dalvin Cook has been that good. You know, 12 million plus and still the best value in, in football in terms of running backs. A- and similarly speaking, Devontae Adams is your best value wide receiver. Again, he's been banged up. So, you know, there's not a full resume there, but there's enough. He qualifies in terms of what our stat allows for. You know, he's making $14.5 million a year, which is, yes, it's $8 million less than the top paid wide receiver now, so you know, you know, he was a good value at that price a year and a half ago. You know, and he's now four years into a five-year contract. He's going to be clamoring for a new deal after this season. There's no question about it. But as it stands right now, this is your best value wide receiver in football. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit tighter than the running back race. I'll give you the rest of the list. It's obviously DK Metcalf is second at $1.1 million per year. You know, he's right there. Uh, and then not not too far behind. Is Justin Jefferson. There's another rookie for you right there. Uh, you know he kind of got hit, he kind of got his name put on in the spotlight a little bit on Monday Night Football. He's been super good. If you've had him on your fantasy team, you've been happy. You know he's had a couple of bust weeks, but you've been happy with him. Calvin Ridley's fourth. He's coming back off of injury this week. He should step right back into a big production role. And then AJ Brown really turned it around this year. So. You know that those last four players, of course, are still on rookie contracts, but the, your leading wide receiver is not. He's at at fourteen and a half million a year. I'll uh, I'll tweet out this list today. You know, the, there's a couple of other notable names: T.J. Watt, outside linebacker for the for the Steelers. He's kind of an annual <laughs> name on this list. He's going to have a big big payday ahead of him soon. There's no question about that. He's been as advertised. You know, typical Watt fashion. He's been very very good. So we'll see uh i like i like to monitor this every week and uh, i'll be honest with you the quarterback position has been fluid on this list for a couple of weeks it was russ who makes 35 million a year he was your best value quarterback in football that's how that's how good he was for that first four or five weeks when everybody was basically bronzing him (laughs) as the mvp you know that's fallen off considerably here because of the turnovers but that's how good he really was because our, our, our algorithm obviously takes money into consideration a lot. So having $35 million on your resume hurts you in this calculation, but he was that good. Josh Allen had a couple of uh, cups of coffee on this list as the best value quarterback. That still could come back to fruition because he's you know he's making less than Kyler Murray. So if Murray has a couple of slips here, he's going to fall off this list and fall out of the MVP conversation as well. It's, uh, it's kind of up for grabs. It's kind of up for grabs, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I like this Raiders Chiefs matchup to kind of gauge where both the Raiders are and just how damn good Mahomes is right now because he's underrated in terms of the media discussion and, and the hot stoves. So I think he's gonna he's he, he may take that into consideration as he enters this game and really have one of those dynamic games. He's just uh, kind of feels like it's waiting in the wings here. Okay, that's enough NFL talk for today. I'm going to get it out of the way. We'll be back on this, of course, soon with uh you know any updates any signings and oh by the way i've started my 2021 roster bubble list it's that time of year too i like to publish that Uh, right around christmas time which i know is a little bit ironic but um yeah the names are starting to pile up the quarterback list is getting long the running back list is always long and uh you know it's more about trades than cuts this year i think i think i hope you know i love trades and uh I hope we see a bunch of them tonight as well so let's bring in scott allen let's talk nba draft let's talk about a couple of these teams that are really interesting at the top and get some financial information as well all right i'm gonna be joined shortly by espn's paul hamikidis talk some baseball we go pretty long-winded on it and it's good stuff he's uh he's inside of a, a lot of the noise he knows there's a uh there's trouble coming with the cba and he's got a couple of teams and players that he at least thinks will be interesting this off season, even if the contracts may uh, be somewhat tempered because of the, well, the inconsistency, the unknown. And uh, look, we're seeing that with a lot of sports. So he, uh, Paul's going to join me in just a few moments. But let's talk to Scott Allen again. It's a big NBA week, Scott. We're going to have you on as many times as possible to kind of break down what's happening as it happens. It's draft night, so we'll certainly get to that. But should we at least? <laughs> Discuss the elephant in the room, which is these trade rumors. Um, where are you on Houston? Where are you on the rest of the league? I guess give me your analysis on Milwaukee's moves. Uh, just kind of give us the uh, the surfacey discussion of where we are with the NBA.
2: All right, let's start with Milwaukee. Uh, Drew Holiday going to Milwaukee, and they're sending back quite a bit for him. I, I think on the you know the initial move, I think it's it's good. Milwaukee's showing that uh, to Giannis that they're all in and they want to keep him as best as possible. And they're going to bring in, um, bring in holiday to help uh, in with Giannis and try to have more offense and get deeper into the playoffs here. And then subsequently they made a, you know, a proposed signing trade with Bogdanovich out of Sacramento, uh, which Sacramento didn't get very much back. Yeah. what, What was that pullback? DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, um, and n- n- not much for you know for what Sacramento probably could have gotten if yeah. it went to another team. It sounds like there were some other teams that pot- potentially were going to put in qualifying offers to Bogdanovich. And you know, k- kudos to him. He he was offered an extension last offseason, Oof. and he. He did not want to sign it. He dragged his feet. And now, look, he's on a contender in Milwaukee, uh, p- proposed. I mean, it hasn't gone through yet. But, um, you know, Milwaukee's standpoint is that they're all in and they're trying to show Giannis, this is what we can do. We want to have you here for the long term. And we'll see. I don't know if he's going to sign that Supermax extension. All right, so let's uh, talk about this it, Scott, because they,
1: they not only forfeited good players here, you know, uh, like I, I really like DiVincenzo. I mean, that's one of those X-factor guys you really can't find. Those are those are middle of the draft guys that are rare when they actually can produce a little bit too. Right. So he's gonna he's gonna help Sacramento to some degree, even though you know they need a lot more than that. But that's a tough loss. You know what they gave New Orleans isn't small. I mean, those are two starters mm-hmm. essentially, right. or at least you know six men. Plus, plus these draft picks, and that's where I want to talk about it now. You know, it's been beaten to death now over the past 24 hours that they're just they're forfeiting their future. Well, they better damn know Giannis's decision at this point, right? This better not be a we're, we're protecting ourselves to give us a chance. They better know. I, I would expect Giannis to sign that Supermax in the next, like, 48 hours. Th- that's where my hat is with this because if, if they're waffling – if they're doing this as, as a way to, to woo him into this contract, then they've done too much. They, they, they are not the kind of franchise, they're not a market team that can afford this kind of thing, this swing and Correct. a miss. So they better know that Giannis is you know, just picking out his pen at this point that he's going to use to sign it, and he's finding the mask he's going to wear to come to the negotiating table <laughs> to sign it. Because if they don't, if this is really just a guesswork, it's way too much. It's too it much is. for a one year rental. And, and if you're the Lakers, if you're the Clippers, if you're one of those bigger markets that can that can handle a, a big all in year. Fine. I'm not going to I'm not going to knock it. But that this is just too much uh, if they're guessing. So, like, like I said, my head is this was this was part one of a two part plan that includes a Giannis extension and that this is a three year process.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so, because if he signs that Supermax extension, that takes him into, like, 2026, 2025, somewhere around there if if he does the full five-year Supermax. So uh, the the picks that they sent back were 2024, right-to-swap, 2025 first unprotected 2026 rate to swap and a 2027 uh, first unprotected. So if, if he signs that and he's there for, you know, the foreseeable future for five years, then those picks are going to be, you know, you would think down in the late twenties as it is anyway. So those picks may not be, you know, what new Orleans is going to hope that they are. And with that being said, you know, Giannis was drafted number 15th overall. So they, they, they've done their due diligence in the draft as it is. So wherever they end up, you know, they, they do their due diligence. Maybe down the line they can get a pick back here or there because of, you know, some other trades that happen. But being all in right now, I think I think you're right. If, if Giannis is not signing this now as a part two to all of this, then it could be a huge swing and a miss if they, they don't win much. the championship this year. It's
1: too much because um, it, Holiday isn't the kind of guy that can immediately change your franchise. He's a great player, a great two-way player, but you know that's not Anthony Davis coming to town. Right. You know what I mean? And it might take mm-hmm. a year to gel. And unfortunately, Holiday's got a player option next year. So if things go sideways, this thing could just blow up in their faces. I don't expect that to happen. Holiday's a pretty... Uh, Pretty solid dude, and he has met his contractual obligations to this point. He's been that kind of a player, but I, uh, I just don't think it's going to be an immediate, you know, run to the championship table like like the Lakers had, because that's just not what this is. Now, Bogdanovich is th- that works for me. That's a nice pickup because he's oh, going to have a specific role. You're right; they didn't break the bank to bring him in. We haven't seen the contract yet. Is it is it a max?
2: No, no, no way! I'm right? hearing. I'm hearing somewhere between uh, eight to 18 million dollars for the first year. It's a range. So, well, (laughs) it it depends on you know certain stipulations with um, what the contract can be based on the CBA. So there's a range on what it could be based on what is being sent back for salary matching.
1: All right, let's give the people what they want. Let's talk Houston for – I'm going to put you on the clock for three minutes. That's all I want to give this because I have a very yep. specific, succinct take. So you, you give me your side of it, and then I'll counter. Um, the clock is ticking. You know,
2: James Harden to uh, to the Nets is either a complete disaster or it works out – gangbusters whichever one would happen you know remains to be seen but I think you know the the writing is on the wall I heard yesterday that Harden has been working out uh, for the last month or two with you know hard uh, with Durant and Irving so they, they've probably had some conversations obviously in those workouts and it sounds like you know he wants out and they think they can make it happen on Houston's side, you know, they don't have to do anything. <laughs> they, they don't have to succumb to Harden wanting to go to the Nets just because he wants to go to the Nets. They, they could shop him other way, uh, elsewhere and get a, maybe a better slew of picks or uh, players back in return. I mean, we've heard the rumors of it could be Lavert or Dinwiddie or Allen or, you know, there's a combination of three or four guys that could come back on it. So I don't know if uh, that actually comes to fruition, or if they're just playing chicken with each other. And then subsequently, you know, with the Russell Westbrook, you know, last night, late last night, rumors have came out that the Wizards have been talking with the with the Rockets for a straight up swap of John Wall for Westbrook. So that that is very interesting. Um, I could see why the Wizards would entertain it because Westbrook is going to have not the injury issues that John Wall has had, and perhaps Westbrook will gel better with you know, Bradley Beal. But I think it, 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 Houston, we're in trouble, is the, the model right now because you know if they're going to if they're going to pull off a double trade for their both their superstars right now. Uh, they've got to know what they've got coming back and they are going to want to, uh, are they starting from scratch and trying to compile as many assets in the draft to restock as possible, or uh, are they going to be able to do this on the fly and, and still maintain some um, competitiveness?
1: My turn. Your turn. (laughs) Uh, you said a lot of good things. Part of which, you know, I'll pull out for my take. I'm going to start with Russ. Russ for a wall. You know, we talked about this not too long, maybe a month or so ago, when we had a little NBA preview. Uh, this is ludicrous. This would be ludicrous for Houston to do. Be- Let me tell you why. My take on James Harden is too damn bad (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. that's too damn bad now if 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 brooklyn wants to put all four of those guys in lavert prince dinwiddie and allen i probably say yes to that because no other team is going to be able to offer me those that kind of package that financially works that literally changes my roster because that's what needs to happen here this new Houston front office even though it's kind of been there already you know it's 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 without Daryl Morey who was clearly making the the decisions here guess what decision Daryl Morey didn't make Daryl Morey didn't want Russell Westbrook James Harden wanted Russell Westbrook that's why this is all happening right now that's why we're here that's why two superstars could be on their way out of Houston right now it has nothing to do with a lack of production a lack of you know postseason run they've had all that they've been maybe the best offensive team in basketball for quite a while now and they've been right on the edge of the championship every single year pretty much every single year so this is a player empowerment problem is what it is and it's not that players should be able to pick and and, you know superstars should be able to do what they want to do I'm all for that I think especially in this league where Nobody markets superstars better than the NBA. I'm, I'm okay with LeBron saying, hey, it's time. i got to make a move here. I'm not super okay with the Anthony Davis situation because that was very direct collusions. I mean, that was my agency's running the show here. Everybody else get the hell out of the way. Um, it, to some degree, that's how I feel about the Harden move. He already made the power move to get Russ in, to get Chris Paul out and get Russ in because that's a move he wanted. Daryl Morey wanted nothing to do with that. And I think he'd be the first to tell you that now that he's not there. So the fact that one one hand has to feed the other and Harden now wants a direct line to Brooklyn, it just so happens that Brooklyn may have the best pullback. But there's no need for Houston to do that now. And in fact, Houston and that front office should probably put their foot on the brake for the good of the other teams in the league to say, hey, we're going to listen to superstars when, when it's right to listen to superstars, but this is not the right time to do that. It is not the right time for us to force, in, in, an, in an already forced offseason, it is not the right time for us to force a move this big because you want it to happen. We can do this at the deadline, and nothing can change. Brooklyn's not going to trade those guys. Brooklyn can, can start the year with their current roster, which is completely intact and completely full, and they're not going to gawk at anything. You know, they're going to have some issues trying to figure out who's going to play minute, minutes-wise and all that because they're going to be loaded to some degree. But they don't have to make this move either right now. There's, there's no need to rush this. So I think Houston says, put on your red shirt, James, <laughs> and get to camp because you're with us until we're ready to move you. And we understand your concerns and we're listening. But we're going to make sure we do our due diligence as an organization to find the absolute best time and and, and trade hall for this. Um, Russell's different. Russell's a complete different entity than me. And what you just said is accurate. Russell's been healthier, r- way healthier, obviously, and I- if not as productive, more productive than John Wall for his little flash in the pan year that got him paid. The money's the same. You know, Russ is a couple million more here and there, but in the grand scheme of things, the money is, is exactly the same. You know, John Wall has two years plus a player option left. That's awful if he gets injured again. Awful. Why would you take that risk if you're Houston and you know you're going to be starting back down from scraps if, if the hardened trade is in your future, whether it's now or later? I'm not doing this move for Wall plus three first. Seriously you couldn't sweeten the pot enough to give me John Wall right now because I've already got my version of John Wall and I don't need to trade him. Now, Russell may want out, but again, I'm putting my foot down on this. All right. We didn't even want you in the first place, Russ, but you're here. You're a better version of, uh, of a point guard that we could get, you know, in order to get you out, we got to bring in 40 million, of matching salary. That's not going to be easy to do because no, there's not really that many teams that want a $40 million point guard right now. So that's again, I'm not rushing that. And I'm not doing John Wall for Russ straight up. That's to me, that's ludicrous. <laughs> that's just ludicrous to me. Why would you take the risk? There's no reason to take that risk. Right. Yeah. So
2: I, I'm going to disagree with if it was. Wall and three first. For <laughs> OK, Russ, all right. I, A little ta- bit of I'm hyperbole taking, there. <laughs> no, I, I get it. But I, I'm taking that because. They're saying the 2021 draft is supposed to be gangbusters. They're saying, you know, 2022, 23, there's going to be, you know, the one and dones could be lifted. So if you're Houston and you want to, you know, not do so well for a year or two and but you're getting in these first round picks. All right. Is that a part of this, Scott?
1: Because that's a very, very good point. Are there teams that are going to try to just golden state the hell out of this year? And get down to the top. Get down so they get the pick because of how how nice that draft class could be. I mean, is that is that in the thinking process here? Because if that's the thinking, you still don't have to you know trade them immediately, but you would definitely trade Russ and James in that thinking, right? Yes, you would. Okay. And if
2: I if if I'm putting on a GM hat, I'm weighing. Do I trade them now and and suck for the entire year well, or do I wait to the deadline and only suck for half the year? Yeah, that's, I think if I'm a GM that's valid I'm sucking for the whole year. That's valid. So, uh, that's
1: a reason to rush it. So I, I will I will counter my own point there in saying if that's the move, you know, if the move is to be awful and stock up on draft picks, then of course. Because I would assume Brooklyn would be sending her first as well. Don't you? That, yeah, I would assume.
2: Yeah, there's got to be some picks probably in there, whether it's, you know, uh, pick pick swaps or whatever it might be. But if you're Houston, you, the writing's on the wall. You have two players. Yeah, you don't need to move, make the move, but if you can arm, arm, arm twist Brooklyn because they know Harden wants to go there, they can sort of twist them a little bit. I'm Saying this, you know, more leaving. I am not convinced it was because of the whole China situation. No, I think he saw yes. all of this ahead of time and had the plan of, all right, I'm going to say that I'm going to take a year off, but I'm going to leave now. Scott, I opened the I'm show talking
1: to- Theo Epstein. Guess what? It's the exact same situation that Cubs team's about to th- trade three superstars. It's about to happen. And yeah. Theo didn't want to be a part of it. You're right. Daryl's too damn smart to, to not see the writing on the wall here and be able to read the room. You're absolutely right, Scott. All right, I'm looking real quick at the, at the Rockets draft situation. Let's finish on this before we get to the draft stuff. They own their first-round pick next year if it's one through four. That's telling. Okay. <laughs> so there's a reason to tank right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So then if you also acquire a Brooklyn or a Washington first-round pick, I would imagine Washingtons would be a little bit better, right? But then they'd also have an OKC first from the Paul trade. They could have potentially three first pretty easily next year, one of which is very high. One would be middling, and one would be maybe farther down. But that's power. That's power. I mean, the Boston Celtics have that tonight. They have three firsts tonight. We have no idea what they're going to do with it, but that's power. So I, I guess I'm, I'm changing my thinking midstream here because that would be an absolute reason to rush those trades and not, not so much to get something tonight. You know, I don't think they really care about tonight's draft. Nobody really does, not even the first pick. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that 2021 draft, I guess, might be worth Houston backtracking for. So I, I still don't know if they have to rush it you know, like rush it like 48 hours. Like James Harden by Friday is going to be on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I guess of the two, I'd rush that one. If Brooklyn gives me four players and a first. Well, Ru- I, rush for I, John Wall ain't working for me, though. Just, It, just not, it doesn't sit right. I'm sorry. I, although if you're going to be bad, getting, bring in a guy who's going to tear his ankle in, in a week and a half, I guess.
2: That, well, that's what I was going to say. If, if, if you're in a, at a point where you do not care, you make the move because you get the picks and, but it's you're $40 of,
1: million dollars to not it, care. It,
2: it, it is. That's a, that's a lot to eat. <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> you know, worse things have been done, I guess, you know, but, but yeah,
1: but I got to put it this way though. Russell Westbrook has won 45 games on his own. Yes. He so does. if they want to lose, you can't keep Russ. Cause Correct. Russ has taken. OKC to, I mean. Team to, to, to places. They, they didn't belong. And if Washington
2: thinks that Beal plus all those yeah. uh, young kids that, you know, they got a ton of time last year, and if they think they're going to rise to the next level with this season and have some of their, you know, picks tonight and any uh, free agency, if they can re-sign uh, Bertons or bring in somebody else, you know, they they may see, all right, we can get into the bottom of, the, the of the playoffs and right. if there's the play-in tournament where now you have two extra slots that are vying for getting into that first round with the play-in tournament you know they may see all right now's our time because we signed Beal to the extension and our, our time is limited potentially with him so we sort of have to go all in uh, Now's the time for them to do so and if they can flip wall then then do so now because, you know, (laughs) it's only going to be harder to trade a John Wall, especially if he is one more injury away from him being completely tainted as if he isn't already. You got to do it now if you're Washington too.
1: Okay. What's going on tonight with this draft? I mean, uh, the the contracts stay neutral, right? These these rookie contracts stay neutral because the cap stayed neutral. So, you know... Is it Anthony Edwards? Is that who's going to be number one?
2: Actually, I don't think so. I, I'm going to what? I'm going to, no, I don't. I do not think so. I actually think he. I, I have a gut. I could be way wrong. I have I have some sort of feeling that he falls out of the top three. But
1: what? Uh, yeah. So wait, I, does I, Minnesota I, make this pick? I think they do. Okay, so Minnesota. I, I, said, I read this at least. I'll, I'll preface think, this. Minnesota has not even talked to James Wiseman. No.
2: So I, I don't think he's going there. Is it Lefebvre? I, I think it's going to be ball oh number one. Oh, my God. Yeah, I do. And then I guess from what I've listened to in some of the draft gurus and scouts that I've been listening to, you know, they're high on some other, other guys that they think could go higher, but they're not sure if teams are going to pull the trigger. There's this kid from uh, Israel, I believe. And then you've got uh, uh, Toppin from Dayton. So there's a few guys that, they think, have higher upside than
1: Hey, the, the international guys have been working out. There's no question about it.
2: So I, that's why I say I, I just have this feeling that for some reason Edwards is going to fall, at least out of the top three. And um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I could be completely wrong, but that's just my,
1: my gut feeling. I, I don't know if Golden State lets him get past two. I mean, that's the kind of body they need. Do you think Wiseman's going there? No. I I, I think they're I, making the pick for I think somebody Wiseman else.
2: Goes, I think Wiseman goes to Charlotte. Um,
1: okay. So, so you're all over the board here.
2: I am. I think Wiseman goes to Charlotte. I think Ball goes number one. Wherever number two is, whether Golden State is able to trade that out. And it goes to someone else, or they they see some you know see the potential in somebody else at number two, perhaps that they go that route. Maybe they do go Wiseman, but from what I'm hearing, Charlotte really is looking to go with Wiseman from the things that I'm hearing. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I, th- these NBA drafts, you know, they, they are crapshoots. Th- this draft is sort of like the Anthony Bennett draft where we did not know who was going to be the number one overall pick in that draft. And it came down to seconds before the pick and they picked Bennett.
1: And, um, so, all right, I, so I don't, let me, let me ask you this. Cause I'm going to propose something that, you know, my cup of coffee just got me to, because <laughs> um, you, you got now, you got me all thinking. I thought this was going to be a straightforward, bang, bang, bang draft discussion, but you you don't think it's going to be that way. You don't think it's going to be chalk. So so no, I so I, I'm going to focus on Golden State here because I don't think they're going to keep this pick. But I I don't fully understand the semantics of how a trade tonight would work. So if if it if gold Golden State's going to have to make the pick at this point, and then they would trade that player to another team. Right now. If they acquire a new player from another team, that salary matching comes into play at that point, right? But they have a $17 million trade exception, correct? That's still valid tonight? Correct. They have until November 23rd to use that trade exception. Here's the move I'm going to give you, Scott. The Atlanta Hawks acquire Anthony Edwards from Golden State, who's drafted number two in exchange for Clint Capella, who is a $16 million player and would, and would fit underneath their trade exception. Golden State gets a big man for the next three years, fairly cost-controlled. They don't have to take on the rookie contract, which is going to be you know a little bit cheaper o- over the course of the next two seasons. But they're, they're trying to win. They don't want to really rebuild with a rookie right now, even though that's sort of what they're doing with Andrew Wiggins to some degree. Uh, and, of course, they could stockpile more picks. Atlanta would have to give them picks to go with it. Um, I don't think Golden State wants to keep the pick. And I look at a team like Atlanta, who's sixth here, who started to push forward. Obviously, they made a big splash last year in, in terms of the draft, um, or two years ago. And then, of course, they acquired Capella from Houston when Houston gave up on big people. Um, I think it makes sense. I think Edwards is more of a, a slasher, power forward type player. Obviously, he, he would align himself with the rest of the, the, the young players on the team. That's my pick. Atlanta moves up to two and trades Clint Capella for Anthony Edwards.
2: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I I could see that happening. You bring up the trade rules. So any trades that happen tonight, do not process until the draft is done. Now, if for some reason Golden State drafted somebody – and they signed that player. any draft any uh, first round rookie scale cannot be once they signed they can't be traded for 30 days. Mm-hmm. so they could still trade the, the rights to that player after the fact if they wanted to. but any any draft that happens tonight will not process until after the draft is done and if you know it, it has to deal with some salary matching and that kind of stuff. Or like you said, they could use their exception to bring in a player. I'm, I'm sure they're running all of their scenarios and numbers of where they might be with tax and all of that <laughs> because of potentially being repeaters next year. Um, While well, they will be. Yeah. With, Capella would not help now. that
1: cause, but you'd have to trade it, Wiggins at the deadline at that point. Right.
2: Right. And it, it it also goes to risk reward as far as do you want the vet now or do you want the the rookie? The rookie who you have, that's my four thinking. years of control. Yeah. and you can mold them like you did a Steph and a clay and a draymond and bring them into that culture and have those three players really help whoever you bring in.
1: Um, I think so at, they, they, I think Atlanta Scott gives them an offer they don't refuse, which is obviously the only way this happens because you're right. Golden state would prefer the younger contract, but at the same time, are, are you just grooming Draymond's replacement at that point?
2: Yeah, you, you, that's a valid point as well uh, because we we've seen him be a shell of himself mm-hmm. already. So um I don't know. It, it's, 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 it's tough. It is tough. I, I don't know if we're necessarily going to see a lot of teams move up unless it goes way off chalk, like I said, and then teams start to, to panic. Um, I'll say and, this. And then,
1: if, if, if ball goes one and, a- and Edward slips, I do think we'll see teams calling. I do too. Yeah. I would see that. I happening. think that's a move but, we want to see tonight. The,
2: and and this, this draft is interesting uh because they've only been able to really do Zoom meetings and there haven't really been these workouts. They can only strictly go off sure. tape and and you know, medical itself. I, I listened to Woj's three part Giannis draft uh pod, mm-hmm. and it, it was phenomenal because that he was all but going to Atlanta because the Atlanta doctors saw that his growth plates were still wide open and they they honed in on oh my god he's gonna be a superstar because he hasn't even come into full and they they really dragged their feet on allowing uh, the medicals to get out to other teams because they knew that they were going to see and when they finally had to let the medicals go out you know Milwaukee saw, something in it and obviously took him two picks before uh, Atlanta did so having said that these teams with their scouting and looking at the medicals and doing their due diligence for the last you know years but within the last six months because they've had extra time to study these players it, th- that scouting is going to be super important tonight because you know this draft is, wide open there are no complete slam dunks so if a team does really like someone it may be the year to move up to get that that player instead of waiting for them to fall to you
1: yeah it's wishful thinking you know I mean it's just kind of fun to have these uh these arguments because you're right it's a little bit of a boring draft class who knows how it'll pan out in the end number one picks at about two for twenty Fully guaranteed, right? That's the Zion contract, and then uh, two club options to boot after that. Right. The, uh, just a quick update on timeline. Tonight is the draft. Tomorrow, most of the options are due, including Gordon Hayward, who pushed back to Thursday, right? He did. Uh, yep. That's the big one to watch. What's Boston going to do? Because, oh, by the way, pushing, pa- pushing that back past the draft, knowing Boston has three first-round mm-hmm. picks tonight, that's a very juicy storyline. So keep an eye on Boston tonight. Yep. Uh, yeah. Boy, and I saw that boy, speaking, been- of, speaking of teams that need a big man and can move up. Right. I, it's very possible that the scenario I just gave you a with Atlanta could be Boston going for Anthony Edwards. Very yes, possible.
2: Could. And I saw this morning that uh, there, there's been some potential talk as a sign in trade with Atlanta for Gordon Hayward. Yep. I saw that this morning. So, you know, there's all these different scenarios happening because of the fast timeline, the truncated season, the play-in tournament potential. You're not sending Gordon
1: Hayward to Golden State, are you? Does that make sense from a basketball perspective? You'd have to send back Wiggins. With with the the trade trade exception? Is that how that would work? No,
2: the trade exception, you can't trade
1: the exception. You can't go over.
2: And you can't go over, so it would have to be a salary matching if you did that. But they're they're so up there that a sign in trade. I'd have to double check their the math. They may be too high to even do a sign in trade in that scenario. Gotcha.
1: But um, yeah, it, keep it's an gonna eye be fun. Them, yeah, that, that's a team oh, to watch. Absolutely. Tonight. Keep an eye on Atlanta. Keep an eye on Boston. Obviously, watch for Golden State at, at number two. And uh, you know, I, at some point, the Knicks are gonna have to get better. I don't know how. Uh, you can't even match a salary trade with them right now. You, you just can't. You, you couldn't even bring in a Russell Westbrook if you tried. You would have to. You'd need a third team. You would need a third team to send somebody else to Houston in order to get Russell onto the Knicks. It's that difficult right now for the New York Knickerbockers. So keep an eye on them. There's, there's going to be some kind of blockbuster move at some point because they've, they've been idle now for two off seasons, unfortunately. All right, Scott, good scuff. I'm going to get to Paul Hembo and uh, talk some baseball here. All right. Thanks. Thrilled to be joined again in the hip Raid hotline by our baseball buddy, Paul Hembo. He's at Paul Hembo on Twitter. You can hear him, see him on ESPN, the morning shows. He gets up early. He does the homework early here and he's going to bring some of those numbers to our show today. Paul, welcome back to the show.
0: It's good to be here. Man. We have a, we have an awfully interesting and potentially fun uh, baseball offseason to look forward to. Although I I'm not sure that we're going to be able to provide much uh, in the way of context because uh, obviously, the the circumstances uh, this offseason are just so unprecedented. We we weren't facing this. Uh, you know, the COVID obviously didn't really, you know, come full fledged to the country till like March, and that was you know by the time we were already in spring training. So it's it's really hard to know what to expect.
1: Yeah, the COVID plus the looming lockout, right, or at least the nasty negotiations which are coming after this season, maybe even sooner. It's not good news for major contracts this offseason. Do you agree with that?
0: Uh, generally speaking, I think there's a chance that some of the some of the big wigs uh, in the free agent class uh, might uh, still get the nine-figure deals that they've sort of long been expecting to. But I think there's going to be fewer teams uh, sort of bidding for the, for those player services because I think you're going to see a, a bunch of teams just do sort of bare bones, although that's obviously uh, TBD. And I do think that the impending CBA and all that goes into it is another big part of this because I would imagine that the owners sort of had this, uh, I, I'd imagine this collective understanding that, <laughs> We're in this for each other, and that this is, you know, you know, probably the most important stretch of its kind for for Major League Baseball in quite some time, maybe even back to the early '90s. So that's obviously, you know, with the with the specter of that sort of looming over our heads, it makes this, I think, you know, one of the more fascinating off seasons in at least recent memory.
1: Yeah, and it's not the best class either, unfortunately. We saw decent names be traded at the deadline, kind of more than I think you you and I both thought. Um, one of which is Mike Clevenger, who I, I'm not sure if you just saw. He's out for the year now, um, kind of unexpected Tommy John surgery, his second of, the, of his career. He locks in a couple of years extension just to kind of push himself past that. We're going to see some of that, too, aren't we? We're going to see some guys take the year off injury wise and get healthy because it's kind of a big reset for Major League Baseball in 2022.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the club deal is a curious one. And, you know, the fact that you're essentially just, you know, punting, punting on a year, I guess, does in some sense give us some comfort in the fact that, you know, the Padres and hopefully other mid-market teams are uh, willing to spend. But on the other hand, there were some curious, um, you know, contracts declined, you know, the the Colton Wongs of the world, the Brad Hands of the world, that was a couple weeks ago. You know, those are other sort of head scratchers. You know, those are players that generally speaking for at least a year are well worth 10, 12, $14 million. And in this climate, there are very few players that I think teams are going to decide are worth that. So I think you'll see a lot of young players, players who hopefully you know had the chance to grow this year, not being on big league rosters, these quad A types probably have a real chance to show themselves next season because I think you're likely to see front offices favor those players, the players that they know, the players that are cheap and controllable uh, over players like uh, using Wong and, and hand as, as our examples, because those guys are just so expensive, at least in relation to <laughs> some of these cost control guys that you get for, you know, five, dollars Yeah.
1: You know, kind of reading the temperature of the room when the option decisions were being made, it was pretty clear that every owner in the league right now thinks they can get pretty much anybody back at about 75%. And that's, that's, a, that's a bad situation heading towards winter meetings here. You know, you're right. There's going to be five or six guys who go big in terms of numbers and contracts, but it's going to be rare. It's going to, it's going to be low. And, you know, there's going to be a lot more what ifs and, and I guess just wait and sees until we see, see what a new CBA brings. I, I mean, we're getting off topic a little bit here, but you know, do you anticipate major changes with the CBA in 2022?
0: It's very difficult to say. I, I think with the, with the, my, my best guess, if we're just making educated guesses here, is that everything that obviously Rob Manfred, And his group is – I think they're probably going to ask for the world. I think they're going to probably ask for a a lot of things that the players are generally uncomfortable with or at least um, uncomfortable compromising, not just because they might not necessarily want X, Y, or Z, but the fact that compromising itself has become – you know, sort of a a forbidden term of Major League Baseball these days. Like, we – you and I talked a few times during the course of the spring and summer where, like, it seemed like they were just, you know, rejecting each other's offers just for the sake of doing so, Right. So if if, if we're going to talk about implementing an electronic strike zone or, or or different pace of play measures or, you know, whatever the case, you know, banning the shift, whatever, They're just uh, random random things that I'm, I'm on the top of my head that we know Rob Manfred at least has floated out there, or playoff expansion, you, you might see, like you might see this sort of, uh, you know, gridlock the way that we sort of see politically just because the animus between the sides is so strong. So that to me is the bigger concern. Like these aren't groups right now with good working relationships. So I actually believe that we are at sort of a – uh, an important time in the history of the game given some of the sliding that has occurred in terms of the interest and the public perception but i'm not sure that we have the leadership in, pl- in place either in the commissioner's office nor on the player's side to really be able to to do this thing like this to me is a little bit more than the finances we're sort of fighting over the soul of the game here and i'm not of the The players aren't the ones that get to decide that like those those are the people that don't have the long interest uh um, of the game at heart and it is not their uh that's not their obligation. At least it's, it, it's not their foremost obligation. Whereas if you're the commissioner and you're the owners, that is absolutely the thing that you, that you most want. So in the NFL, the way that it's worked is they sort of kowtowed and, and given the players small concessions here in terms of padded practices and, and, you know, lax uh, you know, drug testing and those kinds of things that really don't make that much of a difference. Whereas, you know, in major league baseball, I'm not sure that they have those kind of, you know, Uh, olive branches to extend but maybe I'm just being a pessimist based on you know the the entire spring and summer that we had to to witness and that was obviously super unfortunate
1: ugly ugly and and it makes me feel like Manfred's going to come out of this thing wanting to make a mark wanting to help to have a legacy you know he's got an opportunity to make some changes here that can have his name attached to it that's scary from a player's side you know what I mean if you've got a guy going out there really just to make a mark and and, and not so much progress the game uh, I'm worried I have similar concerns that you do Financially speaking, I mean, there's no way we're getting a hard cap in this league, right?
0: No, that would stun me. That would, um, and obviously, Tony Clark has been uh, adamant and and very vocal of it. It's funny. I think it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Alex Rodriguez who was yes. sort of uh, so, sort of you know, pet, uh, you know tiptoeing around the notion that maybe in, in sort of a soft way would be a reasonable thing for the for the sport to do. But I mean, that to me would be just like the. It would be so anti-baseball. It would be. It would be. The, it would. It would. Be, I mean, it would be a major. Like I don't know what the players would have to get in return for that to happen. But, but you already have a league in which half the teams uh, just essentially choose not to spend because you know half the team chooses not. Half the teams choose <laughs> not to spend, and thus their, their their hands are sort of always clean. I do think that if you created a a sort of spending floor, it would there be go. really wise for the game in a way that you know. And and that obviously is something that the owners uh, don't want. But but candidly, some of these rosters that uh, that these owners. So now uh, year over year just are totally unacceptable. Like you couldn't have watched the Tigers or Pirates game this year and thought to yourself, like, they couldn't have sent a couple fringe free agents that could at least be, you know, replacement level players. And, and, and we're not talking about massive, you know, uh, massive amounts of money here. I think we can you know, all agree that, you know, that, that within reason. Probably would be a good thing for the sport for the sport because you have way too many games that don't matter in a in a in a super long season. In a 162 game season, the month of September, when you have you know some of these clubs that are essentially trying to lose 100 games, it's 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 bad for the it's bad for the sport. It affects the competitive balance, and what it essentially becomes is the teams that can beat up on the the Royals and the Tigers and the you know and the and the the Orioles and teams like that that are for all intents and purposes trying. To you know, uh, uh, you know, jockey for draft position and you know future uh, financial considerations. It, it, it affects the whole competitive balance of the league, and I'm not cool with that. Like I think that's one thing that that the NFL and NBA get right more often than not. And the NBA has a tough time, tougher time handling tanking than anybody. But right now, that's you know, there's a there's too much of a, an incentive to lose in Major League Baseball. And I'm with you. I, w- I would imagine that's another thing on Rob Man- Manfred's plate that he is weighing uh, over the course of the next year or so.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a cool story that Tampa Bay got to the finish line here. But at the same at the same regard right I mean baseball wanted that to be the Yankees baseball wanted Dodgers Yankees let's let's not even you know skirt around that
0: yes um that's that's fair and safe to say I I, I, I mean generally I'm one that, that believes it is good for baseball yeah. to have uh, a variety of teams good at, at, at different times but that's not been, you know been an issue for the race they've been highly competitive for sure. most of their recent history I will say that uh, the combination of you know the, the race getting in combined with the, the thing that everyone will remember the world series for, which is Kevin Cash yanking Blake Snell out of the world series, you know, for quote unquote analytics, which we can talk about if you want. And I actually defended Kevin Cash on several different shows, but that's the kind of thing that base, like that's the worst, that's a worst case scenario for baseball is that like the takeaway here is that the team, like the the team that, you know, prioritized analytics over the human element and what we were all seeing with our eyes ended up losing and yada, yada, yada. What it creates is like this, Conversation about you know whether or not baseball is now going to use this as a referendum for change and all that stuff. Like to me, this was a singular decision, and the fact that the, fact that the race got there was because they do numbers better than anybody else. But that's sort of a, uh, a secondary conversation, I suppose. But yes, of course, I think uh, a Dodgers Yankees World Series uh, or, or certainly a Dodgers Astros World Series would have gone a long way in yeah. helping baseball sort of tie the knot on what was sort of an ugly season. Uh, look, you you still got the two best teams in there and we had some good games because of it, but my goodness, they were long and they weren't that interesting because uh, very few things, ha- very few things happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. You don't want the, uh, you don't want the media poster to be Randy arena Right. But you're right. It's, <laughs> you're right that the analytics versus the old, you know, the traditional, let's just bring in the big contracts and see if it works. That I, I love that kind of matchup and I wish that's, that could get more traction, but no, that doesn't sell tickets it doesn't that, this kind of discussion just doesn't sell tickets doesn't put butts in seats so they got to fix something out in, in that regard we'll see it's going to be a long winter here let's talk some teams I know you've got a, a list of some good some bad some interesting. Um I'll let you kind of take the wheel and drive here because you uh, you brought the homer but
0: well I, I am a Phillies fan uh, as you know and I also think the Phillies you can make an argument that the Phillies are sort of the most interesting team to follow this offseason for a variety of reasons the first of which is uh, they they have the best free agent available for my money, at least in JT Realmuto. He he is clear, He's clearly not only the best player at his position, but the best player in this free agent class. And he's such a unique talent. Like the, the the five tool catcher doesn't grow on trees. In fact, we almost we almost never see him come around. And he is a fan favorite here in Philadelphia. So obviously, free you know, assigned JT became very uh, hashtagable And and the, and it seems overwhelmingly that the Phillies are either not all that interested in signing him or doing a really good job of hiding it. But as a fan of this team, it's, it's a, uh, they find themselves at a very interesting crossroads because, on one hand, this is a club that played 60 games last year and led in 49 of them. Only the Dodgers and the Twins <laughs> uh, led in more games than the Phillies did. Those teams were two of the best in baseball. The Phillies, meanwhile, missed the playoffs because they had legitimately the worst bullpen of all time. So on one hand, my fandom says we're only a few pitchers away from doing something, and you know, re-signing JT and getting the band back together is probably the way to go. And on the other hand, this is a team without a president of baseball ops right now, at least in a full-time capacity, a team without a general manager right now a team that seems uh, hell-bent on not spending money, uh, despite you know John Middleton's you know, claims over the last few years and his commitment to winning and spending. Uh, it almost seems to me that the Phillies sort of went all in for two years, have literally nothing to show for it. And as I watch Sixto Sanchez win Cy Youngs with the Marlins and I, and I see all these clubs in the National League East pass us, You know, the, the, I also want to congratulate you as a Mets fan on winning the World Series. At, I mean, excuse me, the press conference that, that Steve Cohen had <laughs> as he introduced himself uh, <laughs> to the fan base. Phillies to me are such an interesting team because they have the number one free agent. We don't quite know what what to what to make of them, and there's just so little clarity in the front office. So at the National League East is fascinating because you have five teams that are all sort of going for it, and that is not the case for most divisions around the sport.
1: Their silence makes me believe, and you know, I'm guessing, makes me believe that they already know they've been outbid. And- Teams like the oh, yeah, Yankees yeah. and the Nationals and Houston and the Angels, they're in. I mean, these big markets are, are in, probably way in on him. I mean, I've got him valued at 22. I know that's low. That's just what the stats say. You know, you know, eclipsing the catcher right. mark of 23 seems like a no-brainer. He's probably going 25 million plus, and it's about term at this point. It's about six to eight years, right? If the Yankees want to get rid of Gary Sanchez, and I think they do at this point, this is the guy they go after. That's the team I'm identifying. I know the Mets are, are supposed to be in on this guy, but I think they've got bigger fish to fry. Even though the catcher is a, is a position of need, but I think the Yankees are probably all in on this guy.
0: Uh, I think that's a reasonable guess. Uh, I must have only really wrote a column over the weekend in which he pri- uh, said, "In talking to Yankees people, they were prioritizing uh, Gary Sanchez getting right uh, as a as a as a you know in advance of next season." Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be behind the plate. Uh, Gary Sanchez is is only a catcher by name. I mean, he is not a catcher by trade. Right. And J.T. Realmuto is I, I wouldn't say a generational talent, but he's as good as they come. And the Yankees, uh, having not reached the World Series since 2009, continuously feel this, feel this pressure and have the money to spend. Now, sort of period, new paragraph. The Phillies, um, if the Phillies allowed J.T. Realmuto to walk, in my judgment at least, that would be the right decision. So long as 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 you're as, as long as you would have to pay hundred cents on the dollar, because in just doing some cursory analysis, like there's a good there's a good argument to be made that the WAR stealing, if you will, for catchers is just so much lower because of the strenuous nature of the position and uh, the and in this offseason at least the availability. There's a handful of reasonable at least league average catchers that the Phillies could could platoon with Andrew Knapp and at least run out you know a reasonable team. And for a club that might have as many needs as the Phillies have, the idea of spending $150 million, for example, uh, on a boutique position is not something that I'm all that comfortable with, to be candid. If you look at, I mean, most of the best teams of the last six, eight, ten years haven't spent like crazy at catcher. Now, that isn't to say that that it's not an incredibly important position. It is, but there are skills that you can obtain, generally speaking, for much less than market value. And even if JT Realmuto hits as well as he possibly can, We're looking at a player whose batting line is going to be something between 20, 25, 30 percent above the league average. And that isn't someone that I'm willing to give 25, 27, 29 million dollars to annually, uh, especially considering he plays such a strenuous position. Uh, I I watch the guy play every day for the last two years. He's brilliant. But I would be much more comfortable with the Phillies dumping 100 million dollars into three or four different players and going cheap, going, going cheap at the catcher position, which a lot of smart teams have done lately.
1: There's no question, and, and that's exactly why our evaluation of him is, is lower, <laughs> right? Because Interesting. they don't stand off the, off the page. They just don't. But he's so consistent and so above average for his position. It's one of those rare situations where you have to decide if you're going to classify him as a catcher when you evaluate him or you're going to classify him as a hitter. And, and if there's, they're two very different things because as a hitter, as a five-tool hitter, he's easily the best free agent in this class. Um, any kind of uh, hang-up with him on the qualifying offer – are teams going to be okay with giving up the compensation for that?
0: I, I don't think teams will, sh- Is it, because the qualifying, off, qualifying offer uh, you know, the degree has changed over the last uh, few years. I don't think any team's going to really. Uh, if, if you like JT Realmuto enough to give him 150 million dollars, I'd be surprised if you're willing to not willing to part with a sandwich pick.
1: That would really surprise me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's quickly then go down the NL East while we're here because it's you mentioned it's interesting. Obviously, you know your your Phillies on Mets both had pretty interesting years here. And you mentioned the Mets new ownership. It's going to be something, you know, I don't know if it's going to be all in this year, but they're going to make some noise at some point in time. Um, I'm not even sure those two teams are near the top of the division. Are they, I mean, is this the Miami's Miami's division and the nationals division then to win after that, if they're healthy,
0: uh, I think the Mets are the favorite to win the division. If they get some pitching, to be honest with you, the, okay. the, the Mets, that Mets lineup was basically wildly underrated. Um, by by OPS plus, which is obviously a, a league adju- a league adjusted um, way to to measure measure performance, that was the best lineup in the National League this year, and one of the better lineups in uh, National League history, to be frank. And that's obviously in a shortened season. But there's a handful of guys, uh, young uh, controllable guys in that lineup that I feel awfully good about. My, my expectation, I've heard I've heard Springer and I've heard Real Muto just because they're mm-hmm. atop, the, atop the, the, the 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 list. But I would be much more inclined if I were a Mets fan to favor uh pursuit of a couple of big name pitchers because that's that's really what held you back this year and if if you guys get i mean even if you you know, uh, roll out their league-average rotation, both uh, both starters and, and and relievers. When you when you're when you're fronting it with Jacob Degrom, that's gonna be a ninety one club next year. I mean, the Mets are gonna hit, the Mets the Mets hit like crazy last season, and it's it's amazing to me how how far they fall in pitching-wise. But obviously, that's what you know that's what volatility of that position and injuries and and all that does to you. I mean, obviously, Degrom is sort of the last man standing. But to me, like if I'm you, I want them to go all in on signing a couple frontline pitchers sort of bring back the same lineup that I had a really good luck with in, in 2020 and take my chances. Cause as good as the Braves are, uh, I'm not sure that the Braves are this sort of ascending juggernaut. I think the Braves are going to pretty consistently win mm. somewhere around, around 90 games. Like they always have, you know, that that's, they're, they're really good, good at churning out good clubs, but they rarely turn out a great club.
1: I'd agree. Uh, I'd agree. I mean, I mean, the names that are being linked here, you know, Frankie Lindor at the top of that list kind of scare me because you're right, they're going to mess with a good thing in terms of that hitting lineup to, to get a guy like that in here, not to mention you got to pay him $250 million. But, yeah, clearly the pitching is the deficiency. That's kind of the case with the entire division, though, right? Uh, isn't that also the Braves? And the Braves tried to fill a hole today with Drew Smiley. I'm not sure that's going to get them very far. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the theme for this entire division and obviously for a lot of teams in baseball. Where are the Phillies right now? Is, that, is it a similar conversation, or, or do they need to go and replace Real Muto because that's probably not going to be here next year?
0: Uh, I mean, it's, it's an impossible question to answer. I think at I think the Phillies, I think we look so differently at this team if they had, like I said, just a league average bullpen last year because they would have easily made the playoffs. So it's very difficult for me to make that evaluation because on one hand, they have like a group of starters that you can win with. They have a lineup that you can win with, but obviously, uh, in addition to Real Muto, you have you know Gregorius that was signed that was signed to a one-year deal. You have to make some sort of hard decisions on the roster, and obviously, Bryce Harper's contract and Zach Wheeler's contract are going to compromise you a little bit if indeed they want to sort of close up their wallet. Like the Phillies, I, I based on what I'm hearing at least, the Phillies are going to be uh, are not going to be so inclined spend big dollars uh, my guess is that they're going to go sort of cheap across the you know across the board sign three or four relievers maybe a position player or two and I and I'm 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 good with that I think it I think the club at its core is a little too good to punt certainly I don't think you're about to enter a rebuild But the problem is right now you you have no real clear uh, front office direction obviously and that's what's most concerning to me is because this is a club really I think this is the Philly's most pivotal off off season in more than a decade to be to be frank, because they find themselves sort of in this in this weird in this weird place, and because they can spend so much money, they should never just be punting on seasons like they did for years uh, with Matt Klintak, which is totally unacceptable still for my money. But like, I mean, as I'm sort of running around this answer, I don't know, and I don't think they know. I really don't. Yeah. Uh, if I if you, I think if you talk to people inside that front office, they'd say we all. Uh, you, you find some people that say we just need to find a couple pieces, a couple arms. You find some people that say. We need to totally realign our program. Stress scouting, stress player development, stress analytics, and get back to the fundamentals. To be candid, I, I, I fall more on that line of thinking because you can't build a good program without that stuff. And the Phillies, for the last couple of years, have tried to build their program by, you know, trying to buy players, and they've just bought the wrong ones. Well,
1: I, I, I'm really glad you finished that way because I, I have to tell you, man, I think there's a Boston Red Sox offseason in your future here. I, I think it's a complete rip down. And you're gonna wow. you're gonna leave a guy like Bryce Harper looking like JD Martinez on that roster right now. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm serious, I, I really think that's the way to go. Because look at Miami's good, the Mets are good, the Braves are really good. You know what I mean? Like I, you're you're looking way uphill right now, and, and you had a couple of pitching situations that just didn't pan out. It just just flat out didn't mm-hmm. pan out. Arietta just didn't just fell off a cliff, mm-hmm. and we don't know where Nola is right now. And he's coming up for free agent terms soon anyway, so. I think it's it's not good. It's gray skies right now, for sure. And with that looming CBA and that lockout, I don't think they're going to make any kind of rash moves. If anything, they're going to look to shed. So that's how I assess the Phillies. And I assess a lot of teams that way. You mentioned some of the bad ones already out of the gate. I mean, man, the Pittsburgh Pirates are so hard to look at, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, that yeah. payroll, that lineup, the, the, I think they may trade their two best players, and that's saying something. I, I, I just... Uh, there's some really bad situations across the league. The Baltimore Orioles, of course, the, the Tigers are kind of in the middle for me, even though they've got nobody paid on that roster, but it's a, it's a weird time for baseball right now. And I know it has a lot to do with the negotiations that are coming up. A lot of teams are just pausing and I just put the Phillies in that category. I really do. I think they I think you're right. They have to get smarter internally and, and maybe more modern internally, and then they can really start to push and go. But I don't think you make any kind of moves on, in, on the payroll, you know, in lieu of that
0: uh that sounds right to me i think i mean I-, I don't think the phillies are going to punt on a season i don't think you're going to see some sort of uh massive rebuild i wouldn't be surprised though if the phillies look to trade reese hoskins who's sort of a fan favorite sure. to me he's he's the guy he's the guy that you trade because he's got some he's got some value around the league even though he's s- sort of uh limited positionally but he's got a, he's got a bat that, that will carry in, in any ballpark in any, in any in any market and he he will actually be able to uh return some value i think if you traded uh Hoskins for a couple of young pitchers, for example, you, you can move Alec Boehm over to thir- uh, to first base where he belongs, and you start to you start to sort of weed your you, weed your way out of guys who can play right now but aren't a part of your long term future. But you can also do that without totally compromising the season. Where if you hit your 90th percentile, you're playing meaningful games the last couple weeks of September. That to me is how a team with with, with a market as 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 large as the Phillies is in should be operating. Because like I said, I just don't think there's ever an excuse to punt, uh, and that's why I think what the Red Sox have done is so embarrassing.
1: Well, I'll give you a team that might be interesting in Reese Hoskins and we can talk about them next man how about those Indians <laughs> right uh they've got some young pitchers uh they've moved some young pitchers they may move another pitcher and they're certainly going to move their shortstop I, I know you like them do you do you like the moves that they're going to make here or are you a little bit on pause with the with the Cleveland system right now
0: yeah so this is this is the most fascinating team in the American League for me uh, the primary uh an obvious reason of which is that the the best player that will change teams this offseason for my money is going to be Francisco Lindor and uh, you could argue that you know, trading for him uh, w- w- you know, w- would be an unwise decision if, if you don't have sort of a guarantee that you could lock him up the way that the, the Dodgers did Mookie Betts. Uh, that's probably the best co- uh, example I could make, but I would also then retort by saying, look at how valuable Mookie Betts was to that team. They traded for him the year before his contract uh, expired, and they wouldn't have won the World Series without him. Francisco Lindor is that kind of talent, a, a player on a Hall of Fame trajectory, a, uh, a player who I think can, not single-handedly, but close to it, Uh, take the team from one tier to another. And there are a a, a number of teams that obviously should be interested in that. Now, if you're a team that isn't that interested in, you know, investing $350 million into a player, all good. But that also, uh, you know, creates a a dynamic at play here in which there, there might be more than just a couple big market teams interested in him. Like for my money, if you're a team, uh, like let's, let's say, I'm going to use Tampa as the example. I think that's obviously very unlikely. If you're a team like Tampa that doesn't spend much money and you have an opportunity to have a, a player of, a, of this caliber for one year, I'll use Oakland as, the, as an example too. Why not do it? If, if it, Because you, what, what you know for sure is that you're not going to pay 100 cents on the dollar for a rental. of It just doesn't happen. Like you just It's sort of like trading for a superstar on the NBA. You just never get 100 cents on the dollar, and we just all sort of accept it. So if, if you don't have to trade uh, any of your first efficient prospects and you can trade two, three, four of those, Uh, away, say, just for an example, there might be more than just big market teams uh, in line to trade for Francisco Lindor because they're willing to accept that this is just a one-year thing, right? That, to me, uh, is what makes his case so interesting. You could see a team like the Yankees pursue him and look to court him and sign him to that massive deal. You could also see a team like Oakland, for example, uh, even though I don't think they're necessarily inclined to do so. But that, to me, is this is an opportunity for a club like that. This is an opportunity for a club that would never otherwise have the chance to get their hands on Francisco Lindor to do that for a year. And who knows if a team is ballsy enough to do that, for, you know, for lack of a better term. But to me, that would make an awful lot of sense if you're, if you're a, a small market club looking to make sort of a big splash. Because this, this is a superstar player. This is the kind of player that, if we're lucky enough to have him, will bring fans out in droves over the course of the summer and can elevate your team from one tier to another.
1: I, I believe Toronto is that team. I believe Toronto. Ooh, I believe Toronto fun. is the team that is looking to rent Lindor for 2021, not have to give up any of those A guys because they're already already in the majors. I <laughs> mean, they've already wow. progressed those guys through, and uh, I think they give up a pitcher and a player, and 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 Frankie lives in Toronto. You know, kind of the Jose Reyes move back in the day, in the heyday with the Mets. Remember that.
0: That's fun. And I think I think a really good comp for Lindor actually is Roberto Alomar, though. Obviously, they play different positions yes. but just in terms of the energy and the style in which they play. That's a that, that's a fun example. I'll give you a couple other teams. I mean, obviously, the Yankees are one that will obviously uh, circle because there's we're guessing there's mutual interest there. And the Yankees are a team, one of the few teams that could sign him long term. Another is the Cardinals. Now, uh, we know that the Cardinals uh, are, are, are unwilling to pay, you know, uh, long $10 million, which sort of makes this a little less likely. But this is a team that traded for Jason Hayward uh, a year, with, with one year remaining on his contract, had the best season of his career, and then signed a $180 million contract with a division rival, right? So this is a club that's done this kind of thing before. Uh, I think they did the same thing with Matt Holiday and also then extended him too. Francisco Lindor is the, the exact kind of player they need. This is a club that has all the pitching in the world but don't have anybody close to his, as good as him, and that's been their shortcoming uh, in the playoffs the last two years. This is, this is a player that would make a huge difference would be obviously adored in one of the best baseball towns in America. I think that's a really good match that I've not heard anybody talk about, but I'm with you. Like a team like Toronto as, as sort of a, a preordained rental situation is a fun, is a fun one because that's the kind, Like you're essentially playing fantasy baseball for a year. And, <laughs> but, but, it, but if you, if you get buy-in on both parties, that it could be really fun. And also if Toronto finds its, itself in an unfavorable position, you can still spin them at the trade deadline and get something back to your value. you know you know if, if if you're able to get more than just that you know the the, the compensatory pick. So there's there's I, I, like I said at the beginning, like there's so there is so much value sometimes in trading for players in a contract here because it provides you much more upside than downside. I, I especially like doing so with pitchers with a player like windor it's fascinating. but I, I think that the sort of finish my tangent here. The Indians are an interesting club because they're they're good now. Like this is a club that just had the best adjusted ERA in the history of the American League. Jose Ramirez finished runner up for the Most Valuable Player award. So you wonder if they're even going to be um, all that interested in pursuing, you know, guys in 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 single A, for example. Whereas maybe they'd want two or three like either big league ready or close to it players that can help them immediately because they have a window to win now. And as far as I'm concerned, if I have a chance to win now, this is why I argued that they should have, you know kept Lindor in 2020, which they did is if you have the chance to win, you try and win. And the Indians you know, owe that to themselves and to their fans. So even though the, you know, their season sort of ended unceremoniously, uh, I still think that was the right decision going back then.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I do think there's another pitcher to be traded out of Cleveland still because of what you're saying. There's, there's just a surplus there. They're farming them well in Cleveland right now. And, it, and, and it's kind of like a conveyor belt, just kind of pushing them in and out. Um, look that there's a reason the Mets are on that list in terms of Franklin and <laughs> door. And it's for what you just said. The Mets have major league baseball talent to move, whether it's Dom Smith, whether it's Brandon Nimmo, whether it's Ahmed Rosario, you know, at the position itself. You know, these are guys that have been playing on the Mets now for a year and a half, two, three years now. That's what Cleveland wants. Cleveland needs outfield. Cleveland needs first base. Cleveland needs, you know, doubles hitters. That's Terry Francona's mantra. So, uh, yeah. you know, that the, you can just kind of see the, the, the trade machine working out in terms of those two teams. But I'm with you. You opened up the show kind of the way I feel, like – that's just not a position of need right now you know we need a a number two pitcher a number three pitcher maybe a bullpen guy and then you know throw george springer in the outfield if you want to but uh there's going to be plenty of teams in on frankie there's no question about it i i hope it's what we're talking about i hope it's a, a rental team that doesn't feel like they have to throw the money up front that can bring him in for 2021 and see how it works out because think think toronto man if if it works there's no other contracts on that roster. They can pay. He can no. be the big contract. He can be the one big contract that they carry for the next six years before they, you know, they're forced to trade him for financial reasons or, or they're signing Vlad or they're signing Bichette, one of the two. Um, but, the, you know, that's the perfect franchise. It's kind of the middle-of-the-road franchise, you know, not too low, not too high ever. But you can, you can afford this one $250 million contract if you had to. So I, I just love the way they can slow play it in Toronto, and they're so fun to watch as it is. Adding, you know, Frankie Smiles to that lineup is just gold.
0: <laughs> Here's the question, though I have for you, because I've gotten into arguments with, with buddies about this. I argue that Lindor is this sort of uh, uh, generational is, is is might not might not be the right word, but close to it talent at at that position, and uh, both with his uh, effectiveness and obviously style of play as as a as a, as a legitimate uh, two-way stud. Am I am comparing him to Mookie Betts and? So, so, so sort of these some of these other guys that have gotten these mega contracts am i overstating how good this guy is because like he has, he hasn't hit like a rod like he's not a rod when a rod you know came up you know and, and was a free agent at 26 and, and the rangers broke all those records but to me like he is he is he is no worse than like a fringe superstar and to get that player kind of player at that position at his age to me is of such value and it seems it just it just strikes me as uh, he's, he's going to be a player who a couple times in the next handful of seasons is going to explode with the bat. Like he just has he hasn't quite done it yet. Front to back. He's only been 15, 20% above average, which, and I think, I think it's pretty clear that the bats of all skill and a profile suggests that he could be way better than that. Right. Am I overstating how good this guy is? Cause I feel like sometimes he's a player whose reputation has sometimes outweighed that production.
1: No, I mean, he's not Mookie Betts, but he's in the conversation of Mookie Betts because he brings just more than just production. You know what I mean? It, it's a, it's a more five tool aspect. Here's the question I want to push back to you. Hembo are shortstops in general being overstated? Um, because if we think about the contracts that have been doled out to shortstops over the past, really the decade, have any of them really panned out at all? I, I mean, Elvis Andrews is a, just a complete flop, complete flop. <laughs> uh, you know, Xander Bogars, they, they tried trading him a minute and a half after they signed that contract. It, it's, it's been a rough go. And if I'm looking right now at the top paid shortstops in the league on mm-hmm. the site, none of these guys are were here five years ago. These are all arbitration guys who are sitting in Arb 3, Arb 4 and ready to make $18, $19 million. You know, Trevor is on a bridge contract. He's he's in in trade talks too. So is he plan B to Frankie Lindor right now? Brandon Crawford was a mess. <laughs> Do the Dodgers even sign Corey Seager? Do the Cubs sign Javi Baez? I, these are all question marks to me. Carlos Correa, he's not a guarantee to stay in Houston. I, I just think it's very interesting that all these teams are going to let somebody else pay for their shortstop right now Maybe that's the good business move. Am I wrong?
0: No, uh, not necessarily. I, I think you can make a really good argument that, and we talked about this before, that shortstop is uh, like catcher in the sense that it is so uh, demanding defensively that you you sort of have to you sort of have to pick and choose like what you're willing to prioritize. Like you can you can get away with having a shortstop who's going to be your eight hitter, and, and you know. You know, give you you know give you an OPS plus of the 80, uh, or you can get away with a, a or you can have a shortstop who's you know hits 40% better than that, but can't really pick it. Like, and with how few balls that are put in play now, I think teams are comfortable making that choice. And because players uh, age so poorly at the position. Signing uh, shortstop to long-term deals is obviously so precarious because you don't quite know how long they can last and how much the defense, uh, ho- how much the offense is affected by, by defense, Javier Baez, for example, if, if we had talked about, you know, him signing an extension last offseason, season, we would have all been talking about a, uh, a, contrast something, you know, in the range, uh, range of, or if not more than a hundred million dollars. And he was one of the worst five hitters in all of baseball. Yes. So it's, it, it is, it, you're, it's a good point you make. It's very difficult to uh, keep tabs on that position in that way. Like it's really a young man's position. It always has been, but I think we, we I think, you know, the, the Derek Jeters of the world, even though he, he didn't stay, you know, stay good defensively at that position have spoiled us in some sense. And I think it's probably because teams are a lot smarter now and unwilling to, you know, put the, put, you know, um, uh, punt, punt, uh, at, their defense at that position. Um, so it's it, no, look, that's, that's, that's an outstanding question. And teams are also, you know, going to be less and less willing to put, you know, put a, a shortstop in harm's way when, you know, they're back can produce so much value. Cause we know now based on the math, that that matters just so much more. Like, obviously, you know, someone like Carlos Correa, like, I, they should already be, you know, be looking to move him. And even though those players want to stay there in their long-term best interest, it's almost always best to, to move to move away from it. I mean, Manny Machado kind a, a 10 you know, for three hundred with the Padres, and they never even gave consideration in playing shortstop much. And obviously, part of that is because of, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis. But that would have been the right decision for him anyway.
1: But yeah I was going to say that's exactly the the point you're making. <laughs> you know what I mean? You bring the young guy right. in immediately because he's going to be better there. It's just fact. Trey Turner is going to be on the trade block too. I mean there's there's probably 5 to 6 shortstops that are that could be on the move this offseason. It's going to be wild, but it's just a it's it's a little running backy for me, you know? There, there's going to be those one or two guys where you just know they're going to get paid, you know, the McCaffreys of the world. That's kind Agreed. of Frankie right now. And maybe we're, we're, we're trying to figure out if he is that good. If he is that much of an anomaly, I think he is. So we're, it's just a matter of where he ends up here. And, and if that money's going to be there sitting, waiting for him. All right. What else, man? Uh, t- give me some teams. So I,
0: I, I think I want to go um, towards, t- towards the direction of a couple players nice. that I think you're super undervalued. So obviously we're going to talk about the same, you know, six or eight people for, for much of the off season until they get signed because those are the people that everyone know, but, uh, like we just discussed, like there's going to be two dozen teams that are going to have to find value in the margins uh, in order to, like if they're trying to field a competitive roster for next year. And even if they're not, that's going to be where they they go to sign people. So I'm going to give you just one position player and one pitcher, uh, whom I believe could be difference makers for teams and players that you could get on the cheap. The position player that fits that criteria for me is Tommy La who I think has just a, such an interesting and tantalizing skill set for a player that's not likely to. Uh, bring home the bank. He, he led all the baseball last year in strikeout to walk rate. He, had 30, he had produced 13 more hard hit balls. Uh, then, then he swung and missed. and was, the, it was uh, the fourth best margin of its kind. And, and the reason I identified those two stats is because that is, an, that is absolutely a market inefficiency. Now, obviously, there are teams all across the sport that don't care how you create outs. But you couldn't have watched the World Series and the way that the Dodgers were able to manufacture runs with two outs and with two strikes without coming to the conclusion that at least in some ways having a few guys up and down your lineup that can protect uh, and that can, uh, you know, create productive outs are really valuable pieces. And anytime you have the opportunity to sign a player whose skill set whose is so sort of off the beaten path in relation to the average player at, at his position, I think it's something strongly worth considering. So even though LaCella isn't going to add a ton of value with his glove or on the bases, having a player who's going to see, you know, four, four pitches per plate appearance, and is going to very rarely swing through th- swing through pitches at least now to go a long way in helping a lineup that's really swing and miss heavy because we we have seen over the last handful of years that sure you know teams can make it uh, to the playoffs and even make it deep into the playoffs uh, with uh, with all sorts of uh, swing and miss up and down the lineup but having having a, a few guys at least that can sort of break that up does make a big difference I think the Royals back to back pennant win- uh, pennant winning seasons were a good example of that I think the Dodgers this year in some in some sense were an example of that given the fact that they, they swung and missed so less frequently in the world series uh, than Tampa did
1: the single most damning injury to my fantasy team this year, Tommy list <laughs> I was <laughs> well, rolling
0: that, that well without saying, which is why I didn't mention it.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I know you're aware. <laughs> uh, I think he got a double his salary is all, I think he goes from three and a half to seven. I think if you can get him in the two to 14 range, it's probably about right because of what you're saying. He's got value. He's got top of the lineup value. He could also bat ninth for you. You know what I mean? And he's going to play some de- decent defense. I don't know if Oakland lets him get away, man. That's a nice, that's a good player for that team. That's a that that seems to fit if the price isn't high, isn't too high.
0: Yeah, per- perhaps. And obviously, with Marcus Semien being a free agent, they might have to. Sort of view, you know, Tommy LaStella as their consolation prize, right. but that's obviously a Billy, a Billy Bean type player. It sort of reminds me a little bit of Joey Wendell. Like Joey Wendell was such a valuable piece for, for for the Rays in the playoffs, multiple positions. You can hit him up and down your lineup, and that kind of versatility matters a lot now. Like teams are uh, mixing and matching their lines more than ever before. Teams are uh, stressing platoon advantages more than ever before. La is sort of a Swiss Army knife, and you're not going to find many. Uh, you know, you're not going to find many guys who you can pay uh, many veterans you can pay six to eight million dollars a year or two to hit at the top of your lineup on the free agent market but this is this is one of them and it, like i said anytime a guy has such a unique skill set provides you a bit of a market inefficiency it's at least worth exploring
1: boy back in the day it wasn't too long ago when ben zerberts was getting 16 million a year to play play that kind of ball <laughs> 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 baseball's come a long way man
0: yeah yeah no oh, kidding yeah eggs. that's funny
1: all right give me your arm
0: I, I think jayco de Rizzi is a potential sleeping giant this post uh, this this off season. This is a obviously he dealt with health issues in 2020, which is why his you know value plummeted and and we all get, you know get that. But but to me, like if you just look at the the contract Mike Clevenger got, he's only going to pitch for one of those seasons. Jake de in 2019 had a statistical year very comparable to what Zach Wheeler did. Zach Wheeler signed a nine figure contract with the Phillies and was pretty good last year. The, the only difference between the two really was. Uh, you know, Wheeler had uh, a, a good bit more volume, but in terms of effectiveness, Jake de was outstanding in 2019. And over the, you know, previous five seasons uh, has is, is a pitcher who averaged about 165 innings with a, uh, an ERA plus around 110. Like this is a, re- this is, he's not quite a horse. He's a really valuable, you know, say third starter when he's healthy. And in his most recent full season, uh, this is a pitcher who you know when it goes four seam, cutter, splitty, sort of like La Stella, and go in, in the sense that you're doing, you're doing something way differently than everybody else. The fastball cutter splitter combo is not something that many pitchers are doing now and that obviously provides you a big advantage in those games because the, the variance level between uh, your starter and your bullpen becomes a, a, a big advantage for you and, and Odorizzi had a live arm. The, st- the stuff really played in 2019 and you know when you, when you're looking at this pitching market, like if I'm looking at guys up and down this uh, who are available, this is a pitcher who has very recently demonstrated that he can really shove and if you can get him for a you know a relative discount i don't know what, what your number 7 projected at but to me he is he is the he is the pitcher on the free agent market i i most want my team to sign because i think i think you're going to get him at a at a real discount because even one year ago we were stunned that he took the qualifying offer and this was a guy that easily could have gotten something like 60 or 70 million dollars over the course of i think three or four seasons uh, had he been willing to test the free agent market
1: so you're right the qualifying offer matters because now that production is put up put up against the, the uh you know the 18 million or so that he made last year on the one-year deal i do mm-hmm. think there's multi-year in, in his future now because he has shown consistency uh, i've got him at 14 but i got to tell you drew smiley got 11 today and right that's going to push things up in my opinion because order had a, a way better three-year span here so you know, oh, yeah. you're probably looking more in the Nate, Native of 17 million a year market in terms of that. If, if you tax adjust that a little bit, could even push up to, to Dallas Keuchel's 18 and a half million. Uh, you're right. There's going to be a really strong market. My, my team include our team included right, for a number mm-hmm. two, number yeah. three guy in, in, in the rotation. And that could cost you almost 19 million this year. Honestly,
0: it might. And I think the, the interesting cat and mouse game here is going to be the, the, the years versus. Average annual value right. uh, dance that the teams are going to play, and there might be mutual interest from both team and player—not just this, uh, not just this player, but all players—to strongly consider one-year deals because of the nature of the collective bargaining agreement. So players might be more inclined to sort of bet on themselves. It's probably more likely to, to, to occur from uh, position players, especially uh, you know when, when talking with a, about a player like Rizzi, who has obviously had some injury history. But it is to say that. Teams uh, teams might be more inclined because of the financial uh, uncertainty to favor one maybe two year deals for players like this who otherwise would be looking for three and four year contracts and it also might behoove the player to do the same thing so that's that isn't the Drew League contract might be uh, a a model for what you see a lot of teams do like the Braves were just first with this guy but you might see a lot of teams make these uh, sort of surprisingly high uh, value offers for one or two year deals for players like like Odorizzi like if Odorizzi signed a two year forty million dollar contract would it stun you?
1: No. And in fact, it's probably a one for 20 with an option in two, year two. You know what I mean? That's probably where my yeah. head is right now. And look, let's finish here. Yeah, Trevor Bauer has been saying this all along, <laughs> you know, and whether he believes it has anything to do with the CBA or, and, and, or he's truly going to be hopping around on one-year deals. Do you believe this is still the case with him? And, and how high is it going to go? Truly. <laughs> I, I mean it. I mean, if he's the guy, if he's the Garrett Cole of this year, uh, you know, to some degree, a, a lesser version of Cole. If he's the number one pitcher on the market and he wants a one-year deal, what does that mean?
0: I think you could get, I think you could get 40. Wow. Um, I mean, but, but but that's so dependent. I mean, obviously there are so few teams that can do that. So in order for that to happen, you're going to need multiple teams at the top of the market uh, go, going for it in some sense. But again, you, there's no such thing as a bad one-year-deal. And Trevor Bauer is coming off a season in which he won the Cy Young Award. Now, this is a player whose track record is fairly inconsistent. His best season ever was a year in which he started 12 games, and I think sometimes we sort of uh, we, we sort of overrate him, uh, for lack of a better term, just because he's such a unique person and has such an interesting backstory. But the numbers were there this year. like that's that's It's clear as day. I mean, he was the best pitcher in the National League. He deserved to win the Cy Young Award, and he did. My guess would be one for 40, but I would be surprised, actually, if he ended up, sort of going through with that like to me it's it's, it's that strikes me it's a really easy thing to say until a team rolls out a piece of paper that says three for a hundred and it's hard for you not to you know not to sign your name now maybe he could get maybe he could get even more than that you know the uncertainty of the the market is something that is just very difficult to predict I think one for 40 would be my guess if, if he just essentially sent a, sent a memo to everyone and said I'm taking the best one year deal I could get but I think he's actually more inclined to take a maybe a short term deal with a high average annual value. I don't know if 300 is a good uh, approximation and know where that sort of fits in terms of your expectations for him. Mm-hmm. But my guess would be he would be more inclined to sign a, a, a deal like that just because he's coming off of the best season of his life by a, by a considerable margin.
1: It's fair. It's fair. Here's what I want from Trevor Bauer, and I know he's listening. <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> all the big teams are going to be in. And they're going to be throwing right. those multi-year deals, like you mentioned, you know, to try to lower that tax, that tax payroll or that tax salary on, you know, 33 versus 40. Fine. You, you got to consider the smaller teams here. You have to. You have to consider San Diego. You have to consider, uh, I guess you'd consider Cincinnati again, if, you know, if they've got a, a sizable offer to, to bring forward. That's got to be part of this. You know what I mean? Garrett Cole to the Yankees was just so damn cliche, right? It was just so obvious. Yeah. And of course, yeah. they paid more and gave him the extra year and did everything the Yankees were supposed to do. And that's fine. They're, they're, they're totally within their right. I just want Bauer to be different because he is different. He's a kooky dude. He admits the cheating. I, I just, I love it. I, I love everything about this whole story. And I, I don't want it to end up with $200 million over five years to the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want it to be a lot more interesting than that. That's all
0: maybe i am uh, undervaluing him in relation to what your numbers say but I, I don't think he is i don't think he is remotely the free agent talent that yara cole is like that's just my 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 inclination because of the, because Paul, of the i don't the, even the think the he's an ace the, you don't
1: i don't think he's an ace I don't yeah, think he's ever think, been an ace. I think he's always been work. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man. Like he's, I think sometimes when players tell us what they are, we should just believe them. And, and sure. Like he was <laughs> yeah. outstanding for, for, for 12 starts this season. That's great. And he was, he, he, obviously he has had flashes throughout his career that demonstrates that he ha- he has frontline stuff, but I, I would be, I would be stunned if he, if he signed a contract, in the nexus of, I'll say, uh, Two hundred million dollars. Like that would that would genuinely stun me because I think I think there. I'm, I'm. sure he has a sort of spotty reputation around the game in the sense that like there. Are, there are going to be. There are going to be CEO types that say like is this someone we want to give this much money to? Right. So, and there's, and there's good reason to to ask that question, just, you know, based on the the performance and based on the behavior, he's just different. Like you said, he's, he's, he's different and he's unapologetically different. And that's, it's a great thing uh, for baseball to have people like that uh, across the sport. And it's not necessarily a great thing for my, for my franchise, if I'm the one that's, that's, that's paying him. So that he is a good place to leave it because I think he does in, in some sense hold a lot of the keys to the off season because not only uh, is he the premium talent at his position, but he's also approaching the off season in a way unlike we've ever seen a player like him do. But I I find it very difficult to believe that he's going to stick to his guns there. If a team, uh, you know, comes calling and offers him a contract, maybe beyond his wildest dreams, it was easy for him to say that a year ago because he wasn't any good a year ago. That's, that's the thing. Like he's, this, this guy just shoved, you know, for really the first time in his, professional career, it seems to me like the smart thing to do would be to invest in yourself in the season that you just had sign a place in which you're comfortable and happy and sign a piece of paper that, you know, guarantees that none of your descendants have to work a day in their lives. That makes a whole <laughs> awful lot more sense to me than, than, than sort of play, playing this game. Cause uh, a pitcher is a bad season or an injury away from being totally irrelevant. We've seen that happen to countless guys.
1: That's some strong agent speak right there, brother. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> look, I st- look at the-, the Padres are paying Clevenger two and a half million this year. How about you take the other 27 and a half and you give it to, to Trevor Bauer on a one year deal. What do you think? Or 37 and a half, excuse me. 37 that's a
0: fun and a half. One, and that's a fun one. And if we're just if we're just stockpiling different talent on that team, maybe they can also trade for James Harden. But the, like that, <laughs> the, the Padres are going to so Padres are going to have so many uh loud personalities on the team they're going to be we're going to be in 20 years the is going to have a 30 for 30 by the 2021 Padres. Uh Hey, baseball, but,
1: needs, but, it. <laughs> <laughs> baseball but, uh, needs it. Baseball needs it.
0: I do think the Padres are an outstanding villainous team, and sure. and and Trevor Bauer absolutely fits the mold out there. Like they they they're so fun, and the and the, and the uh, rivalry that they formed with the Dodgers throughout the second half of the season was awesome. And that isn't like, that team is not a fluke. They had the best second best run differential in baseball. They're good, and they're not going anywhere. Trevor Bauer to San Diego would make a lot of sense for me. A free and easy town like that, I think would just adore him. The way they've embraced Fernando Tatis is so awesome. I love that Adidas commercial I saw today with the, the "get off my lawn" stuff. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've, I identified with every single one of those guys in that <laughs> video. By the way, but I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that that sort of push and pull right now is a really important thing for the game of baseball. Yes. And I don't, I, and I, and I don't think, and I don't think that that like, massive compromises need to occur. In fact, I think the that that push and pull that that imbalance is the thing is the interesting thing right it's 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 sort of it's sort of like a, it's so different than a political argument like we don't necessarily need to solve anything but so long as we're talking about it it's good for the sport there aren't enough interesting conversations like that in baseball and and characters like Trevor Bauer and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. are the kinds of people that we want to be talking about. Baseball's problem is that there aren't enough famous people. There aren't enough marketable people. There aren't enough people that are interesting to talk about and hear from. Those guys are those kinds of people, and we need more of those. And if we get them all on the same team, uh, they could be a really interesting one to follow next year.
1: Speaking of which, tell us where you've been creating your uh, talking points these days. Uh, Baseball-wise? Everywhere. What are you doing at ESPN these days? Well,
0: I mean, I, I obviously, uh, I, I work so I work on Get Up the Morning Show, like you mentioned, and nice. we are doing ninety percent, uh, you know, football for you know because we're we're in the heart of the NFL season. That's what that's what people are, are most interested in right now. And we've we have had off se- baseball off seasons in the past in which you know a bunch of stories have sort of risen to to national prominence. It doesn't really occur to me that this is going to be that kind of off season for baseball. What I what I'm very what, what's very uncertain is how much college football becomes interesting to the national audience because yeah. we have lost we've lost like 400 college football games so far this year with covid and i'm not confident that we're going to be in a position in our country that these that these kids are going to be able to play these bowl games and the college football playoff on time so that that is to be the most interesting story uh, as we move ahead i i mean i i do think we'll play the games that will and it will be a success but we've lost so many games already and every week you're sort of dreading hearing that news so it's sort of a, it's sort of an odd dynamic because you look at the numbers across the country in terms of the infection rate, like we're not any different a place than we were in March or April. We have learned to cope with it better. And then every Sunday I, I can turn on red zone and I can feel like none of this actually exists. So I'm, I'm enjoying that while it lasts. And every, obviously anytime a, a baseball transaction, you know, goes across the bottom line, I'll be, I'll be digging it just like you.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a very distinct line between amateur versus professional in this current climate right now. You know what I mean? I mean, the NBA is going to push through. I'm not sure college basketball gets off the ground here. I I really don't. It just feels like there's, there are two different situations and money has a lot to do with it, right?
0: Yeah. Money and resources. And obviously it's, it's very, like the the volume of, of people, the volume of young people that whose behavior you really have to control in order to make this work is, is impossible. I mean, even the NFL, and the NFL can't wrap their head around, uh, heads around it quite. Like the the NBA is really, and the NHL, uh, and, they're, and it's, to their everlasting credit, are really the only leagues that have that totally figured this out. And they did it the only way that you know reasonably could, and that's with a bubble. Yeah. So if you have if you have so many people that you can't do that with them, then. It's pretty clear that we just have to, you know, learn to, to live with this. But there have been a lot of uh, good news as it relates to the medical piece of this that I think could make a pretty big difference. And by the spring, we might be really trending upward. But obviously, it's going sort of, to be a slog between now and then. I guess the, the the good part about it though is like, you know, for for as much as we hate to, we, we rag on these owners and we rag on these leagues and stuff, but like. All the money that they do have is a big part of the reason why we're still doing this right and and, and we do, and we do get our this this service and this entertainment which I think has gone a long way and obviously helping helping hear a lot of ourselves and like being able to watch b- baseball for the last three months of, uh, of the year was a huge thing for us and the for, for my money the, the baseball going front to back the way that it did in the playoffs with just that little hiccup at the very end was a, a wild success considering where we started I mean you and I were talking in the spring and we had no idea if this thing was even going to get off the ground so the yes the college as it relates to the college guys, I think it's just a wait and see and cross your fingers type thing. Uh, But I I mean, we are in a position now where we should be able to, you know get the pro- professional sp- sports that we want and that's I, I mean speaking for myself at least that's gone a long way in helping ease the pain of this year because uh anything you know th- those those are things that i didn't quite realize how much we enjoyed of course until we until we didn't have them for a long uh, for a long while
1: wait till we can be there again too right it's gonna be weird oh my goodness <laughs> it,
0: I, I i i if someone asked me what i could do tonight and i could choose anything it would be to be at citizens bank park with an eleven dollar cold hot dog and an eleven dollar Michelob Ultra that's slightly flat and and also lukewarm and sitting in section you know, four twenty and and ju- and, 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 just, and and just and and just and watching the Phillies lose seven to one like that's what I would choose to do beyond anything else and whenever I get that opportunity next year I will I will cherish it and I will cherish it like I've never cherished it before.
1: You're the best man at Paul Hembo on Twitter. You can see him on ESPN. Pumping out the uh, the stats, the numbers, a lot of time with Buster only on his podcast as well. Paul, thanks so much for being back. Okay, my thanks to Paul Hemmings from ESPN. Follow him at Paul Hembo on Twitter, and obviously you can see him every now and then on Get Up with Buster only. I know he makes the podcast rounds and brings the uh, facts and figures quite frequently. My thanks to Scott Allen. Make sure to check out the NBA draft tonight. We will be, of course, keeping up with that on the website and on Twitter, trying to make you sure you, you understand the projections, the cap ramifications, all the movements that we uh, sort of laid out here. Hopefully a couple a couple of those happen. makes more interesting tonight. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out the Warriors piece. Visit TheAthletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And we will be back one more time this week, probably Friday morning, recapping not only the draft, uh, but some of these option decisions and what that means, maybe some movement, maybe a hardened trade, and uh, any Major League Baseball updates as well. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spy Track Podcast.